hottest techniques on ice. You're listening to Ice Up with Andrew Bellickson and Luke Goodyear. Hey everybody and welcome to episode four of Iced Up. I'm Andrew Gullickson alongside Luke Lemire in the Phillips Blackberry Man Cave. Iced Up is brought to you by Striker Ice and Beavertail Bay. We've got a special show for you guys today. We've got a couple of guys here that uh, know their shacks and know a lot about uh, early ice fishing and pan fishing. We're going to talk bluegills, we're going to talk crappies, and a ton about uh, details about shacks. So first off I'd like to introduce uh, our in-house guest tonight. He's, uh, he's fished on NAIFC tournaments. He's, uh, he's been on some in-depth outdoor shows and he's pro staff with Otter and Tuned Up Custom Rods. I'd like to introduce Brian Myers. How are you doing tonight, Brian? Good. Thanks for having me. So, Brian, um, how's it going this winter? You guys, you ready for ice yet? Uh, getting there. Yeah, I'm ready to get past deer season and start looking at ice. Yeah, yeah, have you got the shacks out already? Starting to. I haven't actually dug them out of the basement yet and opened the new ones. I haven't done anything with them yet. <laughs> that's I got mine out. Let the kids dig it. That's about it. I know, Luke, you're kind of still there too. Yeah, I'm still. I looked at my shack sitting on the shelf there. I fish out of a hub style this year. It'll actually be the first time I get it on the ice this year. With the ice conditions we had last year, I couldn't really get it out at all. So, looking at the ice fishing stuff, I'm in the same boat. I'm trying to get past deer season first, and then all of a sudden, ice season, I'll be ready to go and on everything, get ready to be on ice. Yeah, so that all being said, we are going to be focusing our tech segment this week on shacks. Brian, uh, so when you're talking... Hub shacks. They've come on the market in the last couple of years and they're they, you know, they've kind of went crazy. They're a little bit cheaper option to get into a shack. Um, what has Otter done different this year? This year they introduced their Vortex line of hubs and they did include the Monster Lodge hub, which is uh, a bigger hub. It's essentially two lodges attached together giving you more room yeah, it's a lot longer shack so you've got another option that they're putting out there for guys that are having you know six or eight people out in a hub and want plenty of room yeah yeah so i you know brian you got kids kind of the same age as mine and it it uh having that extra space is like having an extra playroom out there for us yeah oh yeah <laughs> Give them a little ways away from the holes, and absolutely, it doesn't matter what they do; they will find a hole. In there. <laughs> yeah, it isn't matter. that the truth? Yeah. You can drill one six-inch and like quarter yep. it off, and they'll like you'll turn around and tie somebody's shoe. And absolutely, my nephew every year, I mark him in there and tell him stay away from him. Every year he steps in. <laughs> yep, even and it gets even worse if it gets melted; they start sliding in. Oh, That's, yeah. I can't use a ten-inch auger. No, no. <laughs> No, yeah. You could. You might have more time for fishing. <laughs> <laughs> but, but no. Um. So yeah, I think hub shacks have come a long ways. And like, I think I was talking to you earlier, and uh, you had the lodge last year, right? Yep. And you're kind of like wondering if you're gonna dread putting up that extra side. Yep. I ended up yeah going with the resort just because yeah. I basically I'm using the 
flip over 90% of the time, unless I have, you know, more than two of us, then I'm going to take the hub typically anyway. So yeah. I figured I'll have more room and yeah, I think with the, the hub shacks, it's really nice if you're, if you know, you're going to be there all day. Yes. And that's what I've kind of found uh, in Luke too. When we've been out like in North Dakota and you're, you're moving a lot for fish, it doesn't really even matter if you have the flip, it's hard to keep up with fish. So, you know, if you're going to put something up, it's nice to be able to just kind of put it up and really kind of recreate in there. You've got your, your hub for the day. Absolutely. Yeah. And with the hub style shacks, it's kind of nice just going with, that's going to be your base camp for starting out. It's a place you can go out and you can still go and hole hop and stuff like that. And you can still come back to the shack to be able to warm up and still try and get a bite because fish move. So you might have a chance to be able to get through and get some bites while you're getting warmed up. But it's nice to be able to just start out, look at your lake maps. See, well, I could get a bite here, but we're going to be able to go and whole hop to be able to expand throughout here. If we find a place that's getting a different, decent bite on it, it's not going to take a lot just to be able to pop your anchors up and slide everything over to reset up. It's going to take maybe 15, 20 minutes, depending on how much gear you have, but realistically, it's not going to be that big of an issue. No, it's not bad. And I think, in your experience, how is it in the in the wind between setup and that's a question i get a lot and to be honest the first year i had a hub style and went to south dakota and we were in a blizzard and i was concerned at getting it set up and honestly it was not that bad at all yeah we used the truck to kind of block the wind a little bit on the first side and anchored that side down and then that was not an issue to get it anchored down and yeah, it actually goes pretty quick, and once you learn how to do it, like I would definitely recommend if you're buying a hub shack, do not set it up. Do not set it up for the first time on the ice. Yes. Try that out first. <laughs> but absolutely. Once, yep. Try it out. Figure it out because that first time through really, really makes a big difference. Yep. Another thing with otters, their ice lock system is really cool. The way it actually locks like the side of the hub down or the corners down versus they used to all be just locked like on the skirt basically yeah. so the hub could pop up a little bit and now the way the strapping is on this it holds it straight down to the ice basically putting pressure down on the pole onto the ice so that really helps in the wind too is that new for the vortex uh that was also on their hubs the last couple of years but yes the vortex has it as well so the other part of this show that we we have that uh, we're going to be taking a look at is the, the flip over shacks. And, you know, since we are kind of a brand free zone here, um, we wanted to talk flip overs and uh, Otter's got an amazing flip over shack. I mean, they're top of the line. They're the Cadillac. Um, but they haven't done as much new different for this year. Have, have nothing really anything? changed on the flips this year. Yep, you still got your side door, you know, your yeah. square tubing, rotomolded sled. Yeah, um, I'm looking for one of those crossovers. <laughs> yeah, yep, yeah, it's fantastic. Especially, like I said, you said fishing with the kids. Well, a lot of time it's my youngest and me. And mm -hmm. having that side door so he doesn't have to keep going over the heater or yep. kicking rods in. You know, it's so much nicer to just be able to exit out the side. Well, and even just for not even having kids, if you're fishing two adults in there, I mean, 
the amount, even with having your striker suits on or whatever suit you run, it's going to be a lot easier to go to your left or your right than it is to go straight out the front to be able to get out of the shack to be able to go and run for a tip up or whatever you got to do, go clean holes. It's absolutely, it's a lot easier just going out to the side. You have a lot less stuff between the side of the shack than you do in the front of the shack. Yep. And Brian and I have no doubt we've got a lot of people listening that, that uh, haven't seen the, the crossover shacks. What did they do with them? Why don't you kind of explain what's, what we're talking about there? So what they did in order to have that side door is your one of the poles actually moves from the hub where it's attached on the sled. It moves out and locks on to the main hub that or the main arm that comes down to the ice. And then that gives you that whole side free, which allows them to have a zipper through there and you don't have a pole in your way. But then it also has, if you don't want to use that and you just want to use the front door, which if it's just me out there and I've got it, I don't usually set up for the side doors and you can still go out the front without an issue. If it's just me in there, I got, you know, room for the heater on one side and flashers. It doesn't matter. You got all kinds of room then, but. Another thing that we do a lot that it really helps with is the tip-up thing. Yep. Because if you're set up and you've got two lines inside and you try to go for a flag, you're throwing the whole thing open on, on any of the older shacks yep. that don't have that side access. Yep. You lose all that heat. Yep. You lose everything. and It's you know, it's so better to race this way, too, because you each have one door. Yep. And you can start unzipping <laughs> at the same time and run. Yeah, you don't have to, uh, you don't have to you know, either be courteous or throw somebody <laughs> to the ground or... I mean, you can do that later on the on the chase out there. But That's right. At least it's it's fair ball game to get out of the shack now. And not even losing heat on throwing the shack up. I mean, you might have everything set up with the laptop shack down. You might have a rod tip sticking a little bit farther out than what you thought. You go and yeah. throw that top off, and also you got rods hitting the ice. You got your heater hitting the ice. Everything just went to hell in a handbasket yeah. in a quick hurry. I used to, when I was, especially when I'm like crappie fishing, I got some boppers down. So I used to dread flags, actually, because it's like, this is going to be a mess. Oh, yes. <laughs> and nine times out of ten, when you're going for a fly, you got rods bent over in the hole when you get back to the shack anyway, because that's yep. just Murphy's Law. Yep. Especially yep. if you haven't had any bites. Oh, exactly. <laughs> when they showed up. Yep. So, uh, Brian, let's let's uh, switch gears a little bit. I want to talk about technique. Um, let's get into, like, one of your favorite techniques for, uh, for bluegills especially. What do you... What do you like to do um, early when it's when it's a little bit shallower like now? Well, one of my favorite things to do is to sight fish bluegills through the ice. And it's something I kind of grew up doing. I grew up in Illinois. So we didn't have our ice seasons pretty uh, short. Please forgive me. And, yeah. <laughs> and that was just, you know, one of the ways that we really fished a lot was shallow water and sight fishing bluegills and crappies and it's just near and dear always loved it so what are you looking for when you're i'm typically looking for weeds usually you know trying to look for good green weeds a lot of times you're looking for the holes in the weeds so you can actually fish down them which is kind of where like those bigger hub shacks i have had days where you set them up and kind of drill them out inside and you can literally just stay in there and you can move hole to hole because you can move just a couple feet and it'll make all the difference in the world. Yeah, 
In fact, like I said, that first day that I ever set my hub up in the blizzards in South Dakota, we were sight fishing bluegills. And so it was miserable outside. So it was great. You could literally whole hop around inside there. Yeah, that's awesome. That's a really great. I mean, that monster would be really cool. That monster would have been awesome to have out there <laughs> yeah. then. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. <laughs> I tend to use a six-inch hole. Do you go as big as you can then, or what's your strategy? I typically just run an eight all the time now, but, yeah, I have done six. I've ran fives. If I'm just running my drill, yeah. I'll run a five, but. Is that harder than with, with sight fishing, or does it not make much of It is a little easier visually to see with the eight, but, you know, then there's the the factor that they can see up, you know, the theory that the bigger the hole is, the easier for them to see up and see you too. So, yeah, I can, I can imagine. So, so you, you're looking for weeds, green weeds or typically green weeds. Yeah. Okay. On an edge or are you right in them? Uh, a lot of times I end up right in them. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. If you can get on the edge and have it not be too deep to where you can still see it can be really good, but okay. so you're, you know, ideally on that edge, but yep. If you can, if you're finding a lot fish, of times you push, they push up shallower. You know, depending yep. on the time of year. You know, later they're going to be pulling out. So okay, so in a little more detail here. So now you've got your spot. You you found you have to have reasonably clear water. I think even yes. pretty shallow, you have to yep. be able to see the bottom. Yeah, kind of have that silhouette. Um, so are you are you talking really small stuff? Not all the time. I okay. mean, you're still gonna, you're still gonna have to basically let them tell you what you what they want. Okay. And a lot of times, I'll still start big, but and then go down as you know accordingly. But I have found a lot of those bluegill bites, especially if you're around a lot of little ones. A bigger bait sometimes will turn those small fish off. Yeah. And give you a better shot at bigger fish, which is what I'm typically out there looking for. I mean, yeah, obviously nobody. Well, I mean, it's fun to catch a yeah. fish once in a while. Yeah. You know, he just needs a confidence boost here. Yep. After 20 or a million, you know, before I carry Exactly. I will say a lot of times, though, I do end up using hair, hair jigs. Okay. You know, whether it be a VMC fly, but that's a lot of times what I do. Sometimes I tip it. You know, put okay. beaver tail on there or a spike awesome. or something. But that's the name of the game when you're doing it too. If you're not getting bites, you gotta change something up. There's Absolutely. been times I've been tempted just to throw the box on the line and throw it down the hole. Here <laughs> yeah. you pick. Yep. <laughs> yep. Absolutely. Definitely. Well, that's that's some good insight there. Do you find that is that a tactic where you're getting some of your your bigger bites, or is that something you just do early or? Is it a big fish kind of pattern for you? It, honestly, it depends where I'm at, the body of water. Okay. Um, there's places that I'll sight fish up in northern Wisconsin where I cannot see the bottom. I'm fishing deep water. Oh. But those schools of fish are so big and come up so far that you can actually fish and still sight fish them, you know, four or five feet down. You can have these bluegills come up and you can, you know, Sight fishermen tell smaller fish to bigger fish, obviously, when you're looking at them. But that's a, that's really where the bigger jigs have come in 
for me is up there doing that kind of thing sight fishing yeah that's a that's always fun i know i'm i fish a lot of bluegills with a camera kind of the you know kind of the same idea but yep a, a little different take on it i love looking you can at do them. it deeper yeah you can do it the even, benefit of it yeah if you've got the right water you yes, still have and absolutely right, you know you can't fish them till you know eight nine in the morning ten in the morning till you get a little sun up and you got to be done by like 3 30 when it's yes. going down but um still it, you can you can learn a ton that way just absolutely a ton about how fish work it's amazing yeah. and it, it keeps i you know i'm a little add it keeps my attention all day oh long. yeah just watching the jig yeah flutter. like you can just stare yep. down the hole with the jig move in and it's a good way to mess with other baits too yeah like you know, change plastics out see what different plastics look like i've went i've got a lot of plastics out of my arsenal through the years by watching them sight fishing like yeah this thing is not moving naturally yeah. and no. i'm not using it yeah it, it, even you know obviously with beaver tail but other plastics too i there's times when i make a cut and i think it's on the beaver tail and i think it's pretty good and you i get it down there it's like okay that's a turd yeah <laughs> yep. absolutely big block in the water that's, yep. that's not catching much yep <laughs> gonna take a desperate one today yep. which i'm which all good with i was gonna say <laughs> exactly yep uh, yeah. i'll take a desperate one you're in the days. right school you'll find them yeah, yeah. Sure. awesome well um so we're gonna start a little bit different spin on things we're gonna talk to uh we've got another guy coming in we're gonna zoom call him here and um, he's a St. Croix pro staffer. He's on pro staff of the Eurotackle. Um, he's from Minnesota, so again, you'll have to forgive him. But um, great guy. I've uh, been, been with him a long time and uh, known him a while now. And we're going to be talking a little bit different stuff. We're going to get into flip over shacks and what uh, Eskimo has to offer. So with that, I'd like to introduce Blake Tolison to the show. All right, Blake, how's it going tonight? Good, good. Yourself, thanks for having me. Yeah, doing good. So what are you up to? Oh, I'm actually just putting a shack together as we speak. It seems kind of fitting, you know, for the the, yeah. the topic of tonight. <laughs> just semi-dropped it off my house yesterday, so yeah. <laughs> what? Which one are you putting together? Uh, it's the new Escape 2600. What did Eskimo do new this year? with their uh, flip over shacks, their, their sled shacks. So, yep. So with the flip over stuff, kind of the biggest thing that's different this year is the Eskimos version of the side door. So a lot of people don't actually know that Eskimo was kind of one of the first to bring the side door to the ice market for whatever reason, it mm -hmm. didn't take off at the time. And I don't know, they they kind of waited until everything has been done and, now they have their own version again. Uh, what's kind of interesting is they actually took that same name and, and brought it out here in two different shack sizes. So it's kind okay. of cool. So what are those sizes or what are the, the different ones that are out now? So we, so there's the Escape Escape 2600, yep. which is the one I was just mentioning earlier. And there's the Escape 2800. So the 2600 is 26 fishable square feet. And then the 2800 Jeez. is 28 fishable square feet. So, you know, people are familiar with like the shacks that we had last year. So the Apex is, is a, basically the Escape 2600 okay. with the side door. And then the Grizzly is what's okay. now the 2800. So is the Escape like a, uh, uh, yeah, I'm not as familiar with the Eskimo ones. Is that like a, the, like the one and three quarter man, <laughs> you know, the, or is, is there, 
Um, no. So, so the escape 2600 is, it's basically okay. a step down from their biggest shack. So the Grizzly previously now the escape 2800 was their biggest shack. Kind of the advantage of the 2600 uh, fits in a wow. short box. So I have a short box truck fits perfectly in there. And then for those guys that have a tonneau cover, it actually fits under that tonneau cover. So that's oh, a nice. huge, huge plus. That's a big deal. Yep. I know. It is. I've had plenty of other shacks that it just, they wouldn't fit under the tonneau. I mean, maybe they'd close up in the in the tailgate, but it wasn't getting the tonneau over. Yeah, that's like, I've got a Chevy Tahoe and it, I always have to, you know, do all the measurements online, make sure I can get my shack in there. That is really a big thing when you're talking about a sled shack, trying to make sure you can, sure, yeah. you can haul it. Yeah, it that's the yep, one that's thing I was deal. always hesitant on too. I just bought a new truck and didn't, uh, money for a tonneau cover was a lot cheaper than money for a topper. So I went with yes, the tonneau cover and I'm hoping to God that everything can fit underneath the tonneau cover when I go out this season. So, yeah. So can you, can you explain a little bit, uh, how did they do their, their side door on their new one? Is it so different, different from some of the other shacks is there, there's no longer a front door on, on these new models. Okay. So it's basically a, uh, just the two side doors, uh, but the difference with the Eskimo shacks over the others is that you don't have to put in any extra poles, like some of the other brands, you don't have to move anything. You just flip it up. Like it's the standard flip shelter and you already have access to those doors. Okay. So that's, so you can do it. You don't have to choose one way or the other. Nope. You don't have to choose one way or the other. You just, you, you have the side doors. You're not moving any poles on the ice to, you know, to make sure that you can get out your side door. You don't have to put any extra poles or stabilizers in place. Uh, it's, it just flips over like a, like your standard flip shack would, but you have that side door entry. Yeah. It's amazing where shacks have come from now. I remember, I, I guess I missed when, uh, they first went to it, but I remember when Fravel came out with theirs was the first one I noticed. Yep. And the first thing I saw was like, okay, there's like an extra three steps to putting this up. I mean, you got to put up kind of a frame and then flip it up. And it just seemed like a lot more. Sure. Th these new side door access ones, especially for us, Wisconsin tip up fishermen are, are going to be awesome. I, I I'm excited. Okay. I'm hoping to get one soon. For sure. And it, it just is, it makes a huge difference, not tripping over your, your electronics, your heater, your rods, everything, you know, coming in and out of the shack. It's a big deal. Yeah. Certainly makes you, uh, depending on how you're, you're working it, but in a lot of ways makes you more efficient on ice, makes it easier to set up going in and out the sides, not having to go over your, your flashers all the time when you want to go out for, for sure. you know, a beer or whatever yep and it, well, that better be in the shack with you well only the first 12. <laughs> <laughs> so blake we've talked a little bit and we're going to switch it over a little bit um to, to tactics with you as well so i know one thing that you're oh, yeah. fairly fairly well known for now is your is your crappie bite you want to tell us a little bit about how do you catch those crappies and where are they <laughs> so well obviously it kind of depends on the lake um definitely there's really two kind of major patterns you know one of those is, is a weed line or weed oriented bite and then the other one is the basin bite and i think the basin bite is kind of what everybody's more familiar with you know in the mid to late fall a lot of those fish will school up and push out to the basins so basically the deepest part of the lake yep 
and they just spend their time out there roaming. So when you're and, when you're looking at these two different options for like your early season, when you want to get out there first, get a crack at some crappies. How are you determining which lake you're going to go to, or or how do you determine where they're going to be on the lake you want to target? Either either way. Well, it, sometimes it takes a little bit of everything. You just got to spend some time on that lake and figure out exactly where those fish are at. I have some lakes by me where as soon as it hits fall, they pretty much vacate all the weeds. Okay. And then there's others where they'll st still stay in the weeds. Uh, so typically the easiest thing to do is to go right out to the deepest part of the lake, drill that out. And if there's nothing happening there, then I would maybe push in shallower. Obviously, if it's a shallower lake, uh, I'm going to start by looking for the weeds right away. But anything deeper that has a, a well-defined basin, I'll probably start there. And when you're talking, you know, shallow and deeper, what is there kind of a magic number? What are you looking for in a, for a deep basin? What, you know, 20 feet, 30 feet, 40 feet more? Yep, I would say anything. I mean, it really depends on the lake, but I would say about that 20-foot mark, anything kind of beyond that. But there is, you know, there's a handful of lakes by me where you know the deepest part of the lake might only be 20 feet and it's not really a well-defined basin area so i'm going to focus in on probably some weeds in those situations okay yeah that makes sense it's it's a it's a little bit easier and so you mentioned going out to the deepest part of the lake and drilling it out where are you putting that first hole you're just going out to the middle of the deepest part of the lake are you are you looking for more than that so if there's a, you know, a very obvious kind of defining feature to that basin, whether it's like a big point that comes in, the sharpest break, something like that, I'm probably going to start there. But if it's kind of just a circle, I'm starting in the middle and then I'm working my way out. Okay. So you're just going to, you know, work it out kind of lawnmower style. Had uh, yep. it, the grid pattern, essentially. Yep. If you mark fish, are you... Uh, are you camping there a little bit? Or are you chasing them? What's your style? So if I'm marking fish, I'm basically what I do, I'll go out, I'll drill a bunch of holes. Yep. I'll start with somewhere between 20 and 30, depending on the size of the basin. And I'm just going to be walking along, taking my mark. I'm actually looking for fish. So if I see a fish in that hole, I'm going to fish it. If I don't, I'm going to move on to the next spot. Okay. Um, Yep, and if I'm not marking anything in any of those holes, likely I'm just going to keep drilling holes. Okay, so now you've marked a fish. We're really going to break it down here, aren't you? So now you've, you've marked fish, yeah. you're in a spot, you've got a few in. We're going to talk about bait selection a little bit. Like like Brian said with the, with the bigger baits, are you, are you starting bigger to try and get some of those bigger bites? Are you starting with something you just have a ton of confidence in? Where are you going with that it's one once you got fish on there? Yep kind of a little of both. If I know that that lake or I have a hunch that that lake has bigger fish, I'm going to start with bigger baits. So typically I would start with things as big as two inches. Um, and that's a pretty good size crappie bait, whether it's like a Z Viber or a jig and wrap style bait, that's going to kind of be like the first thing I start with. Okay. But if I don't know, if I have no clue, if there's big fish in there, I know, you know, I'm not going to run into a, you know, a fish over 13, 14 inches. And I'm going to start with, a little bit bigger tungsten and plastic. That probably like a five millimeter tungsten with a plastic in that one inch range. Okay. So then if you're, so you start there and you're not getting bites, are you downsizing right away? Or are you start, or are you going to go to more work your way through more like 
reaction first? What's your preference? So typically I'll have a handful of rods tied up. Uh, I run a lithium shuttle. So on the back of there's two rod holders. I always have two rods in there and then I'm carrying one in my hand. Okay. So I'm going to have a combination of a couple of different things. I'm going to have something like I talked about with that aggressive style bait, like a, a Z-Viber or a rattle bait. And then I'm going to have probably a five millimeter tungsten with a plastic and then probably something a little bit smaller, like a three or four millimeter tungsten in the plastic. Okay. And I'm just going to work my way through those basically from largest to smallest in most situations. Um, like I said, if I am using a, like a five millimeter plastic and I'm not getting any bites, then I'm, then I'm going to downsize to that three or four and go there. Awesome. Well, that's really a lot of detail on it. You know, I, Basin crappie fishing is one of my favorite bites. Uh, Brian, I know you like to get into that a lot too. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah it, they, they seem like, you know, once you find them, they're, they're so, they're, there's a lot of fish there. You yep. can definitely find some big fish with crappies. Um, and, For sure. Yeah. And it, it can be, it can be extremely frustrating though. Yes, it can. <laughs> yep. Yes, yes it can. Yep. <laughs> That's a lot of times yep. where I just, I was that hub as a central like warming shack yep. comes into play a lot of times when you're really tearing a basin apart and it's cold. Yep. And, yeah. Yep. Send one guy out, go pop holes, guy come behind him, clean them, go back, warm up, try and shack again and go back out and try and hit them again. Yeah. Just trying to, you know, a lot of people say, well, they only drill 10 or 20 holes. And like you said, you start with 20 to 30. Me too. Like if I'm not doing 60 holes, I probably didn't catch much. <laughs> yep. So just uh, yep, that's for sure. Not not necessarily where we're going with this episode, but just out of curiosity, uh, Blake. First, what what do you run for an auger? I uh, run the ING two. Okay. Uh, you ran, did you run that last year too, or is it? Yep, I ran that all of last year as well. Okay. Yep, and then I also I got a pistol bit this year as well that I, with a six inch bit, and so I'll use that for for some different situations, especially early ice and late ice. Yeah, I love that. Now, Brian, what are you running? I'm running a Strikemaster 40 volt okay. with a eight inch light flight on it. That's a very very comparable machines in yep. a lot of ways. Yeah, uh, they are. You know, yep, for sure. And a lot of people, like I said, we'll get into this in a later episode with augers. I think we'll probably uh, probably talk with Tony Roach about some of it. But um, electric, a lot of people used to be afraid of it for 60, 70, 80 holes. Now, I mean. Even I run a light flight on my on my Milwaukee drill, and I don't go through a battery in 80 holes generally, unless we're really late winter here in Wisconsin, yes. 18, 20 inches ice. Then, you know, maybe I got to pack an extra. But it's incredible. What we can do. That's the only time I've ever killed 40 volt batteries. I think is late late ice where you've got a ton of ice and tearing a basin apart. Yeah, and I think like yep. Ion was the original. I was just saying, but oh, sorry, they were. Yep, yep. And it's, I was just gonna say it's pretty similar. I mean, the only time I'm running, really running batteries out of juice, is in that those same situations with like Brian. Yep. And him and I have drilled side by side in some yep. of those situations, and yeah, when you're you're on the search for fish in the late season, when you have you know 20 plus inches of ice, it's you can definitely run through some batteries at that point. Yeah, absolutely. That's just, I mean, it's like cutting concrete. You just, you're putting a lot of torque into it. It's way nicer bringing one battery with, or a second battery with, versus having a tank of gas with, though. Yeah, when that see. battery tips over in the car on your way home, doesn't matter. 
that's, a, that's where I'm still at. I'm still running a Strike Master Auger that's a gas mix. So, yeah, it takes a little bit to fire it and stuff like that. But as soon as I get it running, I know that I'm going to have it and everything like that. I mean, I haven't made the switch to electric yet, which I want to. But we'll yeah, once you, you go to an electric yeah. start auger, yeah, you won't want to go back. Yeah, no, trust me. <laughs> I just got to run, run that past a warden sitting in the house right now. <laughs> I will sneak something. But yeah, I think that's a big thing that that people don't talk about is with the, with Mason crappie bites, especially. It isn't like five holes out in the middle of the lake at thirty feet of water and you find them. Like you might not mark one for fifty holes. And yep, that's it's it's really how it is. I mean, yep. you just yeah. gotta drill, drill, drill. Yeah, and then hole fifty-two could literally be a Christmas tree that you sit on the rest of the day, but. You know, it's an hour and a half of drilling for an eight-hour day. So many times, these basin crappies, you'll drill an area out, and if you could watch them, you could see these crappies leave the holes as you're cutting them. They'd be underneath you, but with the noise. So as you drill a whole basin out, as that school moves around, and now you aren't drilling anymore, you'll find them coming back into those holes okay, that are already so drilled out. Tear fishing holes that you drilled hours yep. ago. There's a lot of times, yeah. A lot of times, yep. One thing that I I did a few years ago that uh, I haven't really heard much about with basin crappies is uh, I you know, I was getting getting lockjaw. I was on a on a pile of fish, dropping down the smallest tungsten I could find, you know, to the biggest tungsten and everything, and I switched to a spoon, and all of a sudden got absolute streaks. And you know, I don't hear about that too much, but. And I don't think people use yeah, spoons real often, but yeah, man, it used I, to be the old, the go-to. Yeah. Like I remember when I started basin fishing, yeah, it was yeah. you put a spoon on first, and then right. yeah. Is that something you've ever uh, ever tried out? I know Euro Tackle brought out a new spoon last year, right? Yep, new one last year, and then a couple of new ones this year as well. Oh, cool! Um, I haven't seen and one before. of them in particular is is going to be, I think, dynamite for those basin fish because it's actually made out of tungsten. Ooh! So it's one inch and an eighth of an ounce. So, oh, that's perfect. it. Drops really quick. That's going to yep. be a, a perch killer too. That's what I've been looking for on like those Devil's Lake basin perch and Madison chain basin perch. Where you going down fifty feet? <laughs> you want oh, that yeah, to for sure. Drop like now. Awesome. Well, Blake, uh, appreciate you coming on, Brian. Thanks for being here, and uh, we're we're gonna wrap her up a little yeah, bit. Thanks. But it's it's been a great show. I think uh, we've gotten a, a ton of really good detail, and I hope that everybody enjoyed it and, and got a little bit out of it. So thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thanks for having me. All right, so that got to be a little bit longer interview than usual. So we're gonna have kind of a shorter tip up tips and tactics and I'm going to bring you through it this week. So basically I want to talk about shacks and tip ups and it, it may seem obvious, but you always got to plan that a little bit because it all depends on your windows, window location and type and uh, the structure that you're trying to fish. But I find it's best if you set up your shack and then set up your tip ups actually so you you can at least see them because I know it's a pain for me when I'm trying to you know look around a window or have to get up all the time and it tends to be a lot of missed fish and just kind of a lot more frustration 
if I set the tip ups first and then try and set the shack up to match it, it's just never at quite the right angle. And there's a lot of, a lot of dead time when you're trying to look out. And that's another thing when you're buying a shack, as we kind of mentioned, if tip up fishing is something that you want to do a bunch, you want to look for a shack that's got tip up windows you can use. Um, I know some of them are you know a little bit higher. They're just, they might be a little bit more frustrating when you're talking about a hub shack. So whether it's going to something like a side access flip or looking for the type of hub shacks that have better tip up windows, if tip up fishing is something that you're doing a lot, you probably want to look at a shack that uh, is more accommodating to us tip up fishermen. So, all right, with that, we are going to be off next week uh, for the holiday and for deer hunting. And then we'll be back in two weeks on Wednesday again to talk with you guys some more and uh, uh, get in depth on some more uh, ice fishing content. So we appreciate y'all coming and listening to us today. Have a great Thanksgiving. And we hope that you're all iced up soon.